Jason, a father and daughter dream team. Nice one, guys. Appreciate it. Um, good morning, everyone. My name is Grant. I'm a pastor at New Song Church, and it is my joy here with, with everyone this morning. Um, as we have been doing every Sunday, we're going to start with just a time of prayer. So will you join me as we, as we come, recognizing that there's a God who loves us, who knows us, and, and who invites us to come into his presence with our burdens, with our joys and sorrows, successes and failures, and, and the burdens that we have for the world in which we live. Let's pray. You know, that siren sound, kind of reminder, isn't it? It's all kinds of stuff happening outside these walls, and, and God calls us to enter in uh, alongside people. We pray for whoever's in the ambulance right now, yeah? Let's start with that. Be with them, we pray. Father God, creator, sustainer, and the one who calls us to recognize and depend upon your presence and power. And this week we come to you with our joys and our burdens, our victories and our failures. And we begin by praying for the sick among us, sick in body or mind, soul, spirit, we pray for Minerva Rensis, our dear friend, who is in the hospital with the likelihood of major surgery unless she experiences healing. We ask that you might heal her today, Lord Jesus, and bring her back to gather with us again and to serve alongside us again. We pray for Stephanie, her sister Lydia Ramirez Oda, who has diabetes and it's raging out of control and it really has hurt her body. And we pray that dialysis will be effective today. Lord, we pray on her behalf, Father, that you would heal her, that she might return to health and to her children and her family. And we pray for other churches in our part of the world. We pray for all the gatherings this morning who congregate in your name. Encourage them, empower them, and send them out to serve our communities as we ask you to send us. We pray for Charter Oak Mobile Home Park next door and those who live there. We pray for San Dimas High School and Lone Hill Middle School and Life Pacific University and all the other schools and colleges in our area. We pray for our neighbors wherever we live. Help us to seek them, to know them, to invite them into our homes, to break bread together and share the burdens of life with them. We pray that you would empower your church to speak truth to power in all areas of society and especially where the vulnerable and marginalized are being exploited, neglected, or persecuted. We pray for those in prison, for those who are hungry this morning and without adequate shelter. May your church visit the prisoners and feed and offer shelter to precious people made in your image. We pray for our brothers and sisters who, because of their faith, are in the midst of fearful anxiety and persecution. Be their strong tower and their ever-present need in times of trouble, and may we not forget them. We pray for all victims of religious persecution around the world, and pray for your freedom to ring out. Be with us this morning, Lord, in whatever way you deem best, for we pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior, brother, and friend. Amen. Thank you, guys. So, I'm going to read this text this morning. I'm not going to pick on anyone this week. Rana said, that's not very nice, just like telling someone to read the text. So, actually, we want to have more people, more people able to read the text, but we're going to try to do it in advance. 
with some notice so you can actually maybe practice you know, some of the strange words that appear and you're like, what the heck? I'm going to embarrass myself publicly in front of all these lovely people. So I'm going to read it this morning. And if you have a Bible want to follow along or on the screen, it's James chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 to 12 today. And James writes, Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Amen. So if you've looked at the worship guide or seen the email that came out, this morning's uh, title of the sermon might be a bit confusing to most of us, but I couldn't resist using it as this particular subject is, this phrase is actually very near and dear to my heart. So first, I am going to pick on some people. Would anyone like to have an attempt at pronouncing this phrase in a section that I call, let's speak Scottish? (laughs) And if you know how to pronounce this already, you know, don't put your hand up, but if you would like to have a shot of pronouncing this phrase, please notify me with your... Anyone? Come on, guys. Nancy? Heard your seat. Whoa, okay, good. Anyone else? Come on, folks. Oh, yeah, Barb. Odd your worst. Okay, odd your worst. Anyone else? Come on. I'm going to start picking on people. Oh, there we go. Michael. I'm making a lot of noise here. here Had your weast. Oh, that's pretty good. So you win a prize. This is a book, Unoffendable, which uh, I don't know if you need it, uh, but thanks, guys. So here's what we're going to do. Sorry for making all this strange noise. It's like strange. Um, we need an expert to help us figure out how to pronounce this out. So, um, a bona fide Scottish person who often spoke these words to me during my childhood, ladies and gentlemen, live from my ancestral home in Brothy Ferry, Scotland, my father, Captain Norman Miles. He's going to give us in a sentence and explain what it means. Hodger Wist, Hodger Wist. Hodger wished, said the librarian to the noisy child. Hodger wished, Hodger wished. Hodger wished means be quiet, hold your tongue, shut up. Hodger wished, Hodger wished. 
Be quiet. Hold your tongue. Hold your wrist, laddie. And uh, that strikes fear into my heart, hearing those exact words. Hold your wrist, laddie. He said that to me so many times. Um, so yeah, it means to hold your tongue, to be quiet, stop talking. And many Scottish fathers and mothers said this to many Scottish children. Um, it's not easy to do, is it? Uh, you know that, that sense of like you, you want to say something, you see the words escaping, you, even as you're doing it, you're thinking, I shouldn't be saying this right now. Now this morning, James is talking to us about the tongue and urges us to watch what we say. And he gives some really strong warnings about it as we read in the text. Uh, earlier in chapter one, verse 26, he said, anyone who says he is a Christian but doesn't control his sharp tongue is just fooling himself and his religion isn't worth much. He's already addressed this. If you don't control your tongue, that there's a problem. Uh, and I think we all have experiences with the power of words that can cause harm that seems so out of proportion with such a seemingly small thing. Um, and how insignificant a word may seem. Last week we were talking about simply just pushing air across your vocal cords and, and raising your pitch up and down, and it's understandable through the sound waves that connect with someone's ear that it's mean, it has meaning, it's communication. Uh, but it's powerful. Last week we talked about the fact that words are cheap. This week the words can be dangerous and powerful, both for good uh, or for evil. They can be a force for good in the kingdom of God, um, or they can be a damaging and defiling influence that just pushes people away from, from one another and from God. How many of us are aware today of relationships that have been broken, marriages, families, by just that word or two that were the final straw? There's a saying, sticks and stones can break my bones, but names will never harm me, right? What a load of rubbish that is. Isn't that true? Sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will harm me. It's clearly not true. Bones and skin can heal, whereas the wounds that words can create in our minds and our hearts and our spirits can linger and fester and harm us for years. You all heard of cyberbullying, you know, till you couldn't pay me enough money to go back to middle school, I tell you. Just the power of words, you know. I'd much rather get a punch in the face when I was like 13 than, than I was bullied, and it's just the constant pressure of those words. Uh, words are powerful, um, and we have to be careful what we say sometimes. Uh, words, a misstep in speaking have brought down all kinds of politicians and celebrities um, by saying something, saying the wrong thing. It has ended careers. Um, and perhaps, uh, as many argue, we've become over-concerned with policing our, the words of others. They say the so-called political correctness, right? You heard of that word? Hey, there's enough political correctness. I find sometimes that people who most cry about political correctness often seem to do so because they would desire to say anything that they wish to say. They just want to speak their mind whenever. And that's kind of a, a tenet of, of our society and our culture is freedom of speech, right? Very freedom of speech, freedom of speech. But here's something to think about. I was considering the whole concept of freedom of speech. Um, and, and that comes with being part of this society. I should be free to say what I want, when I want, how I want, to whom I want. Here's the thing, though. If you are a citizen of heaven, you claim to be a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus, you're a citizen of heaven, not this nation, ultimately, primarily. Um, so as we said at Philippians, we're, part, we're a colony within a colony, and it, it comes under a different jurisdiction with different rules. Um, the American ideal of free speech or the Western ideal of free speech is not necessarily a kingdom ideal. 
And words are powerful. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you've got to understand that your kingdom citizenship trumps any other citizenship of this earth that you may have and the rules which govern that. Um, followers of Jesus are not free to say whatever they want to say, how they want to say it, when they want to say it. We are governed by what James is calling us to, which is different. He warns us about the power of unchecked words. He tells us that our words have a power that can do great damage to not only ourselves, but our community and our witness to the character, power, and truth of the gospel and Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God. It really comes down to that whole command of love God and love other people. Love God. That should be the expression of our life and love other people. Uh, We are called to a different understanding of the speech that we bring into the world, the words that we use. And just in case we're thinking about, it's just about words, it's any kind of communication really, isn't it? Social media is just, has blown up. It's incredible how words can just spread their harm so much quicker these days. Jesus said the very same thing as James. You know, we talked about Jesus being, uh, James being related by, by being a brother of Jesus. Um, and he very much echoes what Jesus said about the tongue and about words. Um, you know, that word, may have, hell, may have stuck out to you in that passage because we don't like to say the word hell very much. It's actually the word Gehenna. Uh, and it actually only appears 11 times in the entire New Testament. People talk about Jesus was always going on about hell. 11 times that word appears. All of them are in the Gospels except for this one place where it appears and it's connected with the tongue. It's a serious business, James is telling us. A serious warning. You know, we have all kinds of sins and lifestyles picked out that they're bad ones, but the Bible seems clear from start to finish that it is gossip and slander and angry, vengeful, boastful words spoken without care that are the greatest target for the judgment of God. Our words, James is saying, this is so vital, people. Jesus said, it's recorded in Matthew 5. You've heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. Okay, so our words can have an effect, you know, in the world. And in that culture, there were certain words you were meant, you were meant to say. You could be censored or uh, tried for some of these words. But then he says, anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Trying to explain that one away, you know? We, we don't like some of the things Jesus says, right? Apparently, it's really serious what we say. The um, first thing he mentions, actually, James, uh, causes great concern for me this morning. And the irony is not lost on me. He said, not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. I'm going home. <laughs> okay, see ya. Anyone? You want this? That's serious stuff, man. Judged by whom? It's the first question. Judged by whom? doesn't say. We'll be judged more strictly. And, and I think it's um, maybe my listeners. Yeah, for sure, right? The, the church, okay? The church. And the church should judge the words of their teachers, right? It's important. The watching world, absolutely. Absolutely. And everything being recorded now. My, all the sermons that we do are online. You could like, Cut a little snippet out, do whatever you want with it. The court of human opinion is always in session, and even more so these days with the fact that we can know everything at once and communicate these things around the world quickly. You may have heard of Franklin Graham. He's Billy Graham's son. Um, and whatever you think about his 
situation, his politics, the way he is, he is continuing the legacy of his father, and there's differences of opinion about that, which we can have in the body of Christ, right? He planned to have a rallies in Britain, bringing the gospel, sharing the gospel, and in May and June, and all but one of them has been canceled because of certain words at some point he has said, which have perhaps been taken out of context, whatever, the court of public opinion is always listening, and places have been shut down to him. Even more so these days, we better watch what we say. Be sure that this is important enough to, to, to say into the world, and these worlds carry consequences. Um, but what, perhaps more importantly, judged by God, I think there is a, God is very concerned often about how we use our words in this world where he wants to be known through us. And so here I am in a teaching role this morning, right? Woo, it's like, what the heck am I doing? This is so bad. You know, it said last week, the demons believe in this God and they shudder. You know, that's, that's something that anyone who speaks and claims to speak in some way, shape, or form for this God should shudder. I take this very seriously. And I've messed up many times, man. I've said the wrong thing many times. The first sermon I ever preached, and I have it on cassette. You're like, isn't it on like Real to Real or 8-Track? You're like, no, it's cassette. I'm old, but I'm not that old. And um, I was preaching on this passage in 1 Corinthians that says, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And I boldly stepped in, said everything I knew about God in about you know, 50 minutes or an hour plus, right? But, um, and I had this whole concept that it was about heaven, right? So I talked about heaven a lot. But a week later, I was reading this book about how to preach and stuff. I said, novice preachers should never use a difficult text uh, as an er, you know, one of the early things. For example, and this very passage was there, and said, often people predict that, say that it's about heaven, but actually it's about the gospel. It's a common, and I was like, oh, forgive me, Lord, right? Luckily, I wasn't actually saying anything bad, but I could. I could. I could lead people wrong. There's a power. You know what my kids said when I first came here and started preaching? My kids are so, like, both perceptive and, and, and no unfiltered. They said, Dad, you know, that you're quite kind of compelling. You could start a cult. <laughs> that was their decision. I was like, what? But, you know, there's a power about standing with a microphone. There's all kinds of things. I could use peer pressure. I could use any kind of emotional, you know, trick to try to get people to follow what I say, and I could lead them wrong. And that's serious. So I stand here totally aware of the fact that I am doing this very thing. James also is teaching. He's concluding himself in this. But here's the thing. Surely, we are all in some way teachers. Even if you're not professionally you know, named that, we're all teaching people, and especially the concept of the body of Christ, that we are all witnesses. And witnesses both act, but they also speak. And everyone, they're being watched. We are being watched by those around us. To, to, and they are ascertaining the value or otherwise uh, the truthfulness of whatever of what we say we believe. So James is a master illustrator and he gets right into this. It seems to run in the family following in the footsteps of his brother Jesus who used parables, amazing uh, stories and images and ideas and just things from everyday life to illustrate his ideas and his exhortations. Like they would illuminate the point, sometimes in shocking and striking ways, and it would kind of cause a delayed reaction. I can imagine people listening to Jesus. He tells a story 
And they're kind of like, huh. And as they walk away, the pieces all start to fit in. And rather than directly telling them something, he would share a story about things. So, um, and they'd be like walking away and they're offended 30 minutes later when they make the connection suddenly like, that was talking about me, right? So rather than just say, Jesus say, our connection with God's kingdom may start small, but it will grow and expand. Uh, he'd say something like, the kingdom of God is like a seed that grows and it will grow and it will fruit and, and it will provide shelter for the birds. Like these kinds of stories. So James does the same thing. He, he wants to illustrate his point with things that were familiar to the people that they would kind of, more expansively, they'd not only understand, but they would feel what he's talking about. And so he compares our tongues and the power they wield and the challenges of controlling them to several things. He compares them to a ship's rudder. Um, and that was a really common mode of transportation. He compares them to horses and the, and the bit that goes into a horse's mouth. And he compares them to fire. We're all familiar with fire in this part of the world, right? What's he trying to tell us by these illustrations? The first thing he's wanting to tell us is that the tongue, though small, has a power that is disproportionate to its size. And it, it is powerful. I actually bit my tongue the other day. I discovered it's a very central part of my body, right? And it actually hindered my communication a little bit. Yesterday I was meeting some people and I found myself like, I've got a swollen tongue, you know, I'm like, oh, well, probably a good thing. That's praying, Lord, let my tongue be okay today. Um, first thing, it's small, but it's, it has a power that's disproportionate to its size. It has real power, both to bless and to, and to harm. The second thing is, though, words can be a power for good. As we said, uh, a poorly controlled tongue has the power to destroy. And he talks about horses. And there's a reason we measure power today by horsepower. Uh, great power. In James's day, horses, the, the power of a horse was at the center of all trade and agriculture and defense. It was a powerful thing. Remember in the Old Testament, it says, some trust in horses, some trust in chariots, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Horses were central as a power, uh, and they were wonderfully useful, yet out of control, it is a danger to the rider and a danger to anyone who stands in its way. Seen these giant Clydesdale horses, the power of those things. And then rudders, so a rudder has the ability to steer a ship to safe port or safe destination, but it can also steer a ship to shipwreck and ruin of the lives on board and any cargo it's holding. And then a fire. Oh, we're so aware of that. A tiny spark in a fireplace can provide warmth when it is in the confines of that safe place, but when it becomes out in the world and is out of control. It can destroy the greatest forest, the greatest city. So the tongue, he's comparing it to the tongue. The tongue, though small, can create a stampede, a shipwreck, and a blaze of destruction. Though a small part of the body, it can determine the destiny of the whole body, just as the rudder can determine the destiny of the whole ship. Uh, the bit can determine the destiny of the rider and the horse. Um, and, and the fire can determine the destiny of everything around it. Corrupting the body, he says, destroying the whole life and separating us from God and others. Third thing is that there's a need for control. There's a need for control of our tongues. The horse needs a skilled rider, the ship needs a competent pilot, and the fire needs a wise and careful supervisor, or it will get out of control and it will cause harm. So what can we do? First thing is, we could indeed hud our wishts. Hud your wished, laddie. 
We could commit to a life of never seeing anything, never writing anything. Um, but is that really a solution? <laughs> Shh, <laughs> don't talk. It's not worth it. It's too dangerous. I don't want to get judged. I don't want to set things on fire. I don't want horse dung on my carpet. Um, but, it, but there is actually something to be said for keeping silent, keeping quiet. Actually, Proverbs says that the prudent or the wise, like they measure their, their speech. They measure their, their, their speaking. And the foolish are just, you know, blasting out words. And many spiritual traditions in the world include silence as a spiritual discipline. The Christian way is no exception. For example, in monasteries, there are many monks who, who take vows of silence. These guys are having a rip-roaring time, but it's definitely part of that tradition. And I think it could be, should be part of our tradition because it is part of the Christian tradition. Silence is a powerful thing. Yeah, there was one time this man wanted to be a monk. And so he went to the monastery and he talked to the head monk. And the head monk said, you must take a vow of silence and can only say two words every three years. And the man agreed. After the first three years, the head monk came to him and said, what are your two words? Food cold, man replied. Three more years went by and the head monk came to him and said, what are your two words? Robe dirty, the man exclaimed. Three more years went by, the head monk came to him and said, what are your two words? I quit, <laughs> said the man. Well, the head monk replied, I am not surprised. You've done nothing but complain ever since you got here. <laughs> Does not speaking actually solve the problem? Silence is actually a helpful discipline, for sure. And there are, there are groups of monks around the world who, for whom silence is an important part of their prayer life. And I'm grateful for the people around the world who, who focus on prayer and contemplation on my behalf, on the church's behalf, on the world's behalf. There's a movie called Integrate Silence. Has anyone seen that movie? It's like three hours plus long. I wouldn't be surprised if, if you haven't. Um, but the monks there, uh, they are held to a strict vow of silence. And, and ideally, the purpose is for them to enter into stillness and contemplation that's undisturbed, to enable a person to commune with God in a deep way. Uh, yeah, it's not practical for most of us to enter into that situation, especially when the gospel, I mean, James is teaching, he's sharing, he's talking, and we're, we're called to share, to speak. Um, it's kind of ironic because when the monks in, in the movie, there's a part where they actually are given some time to speak, and they end up in this rather vigorous debate, almost argument about whether holy water should be used on, on entering this building every time or only certain times, you know? So it's almost like they don't really, the fact that they're silent, there's still something going on that when they get opportunity to speak, they can misspeak, right? Um, so we could do something, we go back to Scotland and take up a practice of my ancestors, which I'm horrified to admit is true, that the Scottish people invented this and it's called a scold's bridle, or branks. And basically, it's, uh, if someone was a gossip, and it was disproportionately affected women, of course, in that time, they would have this instrument applied to their head, and they would be led through the town. It's horror, I mean, it's disgusting. It's awful. The one with the bell on it, so it like, draws more attention, but it had this plate of metal that would push into your tongue before you speaking. It often had a spike on it, so it was super uncomfortable to speak. Um, uh, and it was just, it was an abusive thing, totally abusive. When, actually, when I was in uh, Scotland with Rona, I guess, yeah, quite a few years ago now, we visited a jail in a place called Inverary, um, and they had one of these uh, literally uh, on display, and, and no matter how many times Rona was begging them to let her borrow it for me, they wouldn't let me 
uh, they wouldn't let her take it. But it's an awful, awful thing, you know. It's, there's no solution, right? Just like, don't talk. What's that? No, it's for me, Ron. <laughs> Could you make one for, who's got welding skills? Don't talk to Ron about that. Uh, but it's really merely t- covering up the problem, isn't it? It's just covering up a problem. It's, it's not going to work. It's not talking. James doesn't say, so don't talk. Um, so this is where we turn to the master teacher and the illustrator, whose every word was well spoken. The only one who could truly claim, as James has said, someone who is never at fault in what they say, they are perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. As Jesus was that way. Every word perfectly fitting, even though some of them are super harsh, as we're going to discover. Speaking to the Pharisees, James said, you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks of what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And what is the heart? The heart is the essence, the center of our being. It's who we are and who we are becoming. The problem lies in the heart, and the tongue merely indicates what lies within the central place in a human, in all of us. And James tells us that the proof that our hearts are misaligned is the fact that, James 3.9, with the tongue we praise our God and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness or image. That word rarely appears also in scripture. It appears in the beginning when man were, men and women were made in God's image. And right here he says, and this is general, this is not just brothers and sisters of the faith, this is those made in God's image who bear the image of God, precious to him, dearly loved. And often we're maybe the only thing that stands between them understanding there's a God who loves them and them not understanding that there's a God who loves them and invites them into relationship It is a dreadful state of affairs. To illustrate the fact that the quality of our heart, um, yeah, he illustrates that the quality of our hearts will determine to a large extent what comes out of our mouths. So merely zipping up our mouths is not going to solve this. There's something deeper that has to happen. So our words can either be a source of strength and direction and warmth or stampede, shipwreck, and hellfire in the world. So what, what do we do? What do we do? It's always the way I think with this faith that, like Paul said, who will rescue me from this body of death? He recognized I can't fix this except maybe to put the iron face mask on. And he said, praise be to God who gives us the victory in Jesus Christ. And there's grace for us. There's grace James said, we all stumble in many ways. He's not surprised. (laughs) We all stumble in many ways. And then in the second uh, part of that, he says, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. This is not a self-help project that we can necessarily do. But here's the good news. Not many should become teachers because greater judgment is upon them. I think to some extent we're all teachers. The world will judge and God certainly has concern for the way we use our words. But James tells us that mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy. This is the God we serve. 
mercy triumphs over judgment. And what's amazing is in the beginning of what we call the church was a day of exaltation and praise and speaking um, tongues that spoke the praise of God was the first act of the church when it was born into a newness of life. And it was God that gave them those words. He gave them a new heart. He did something within them that caused them to, to bring words of blessing, words of truth, words of praise, words of hope. And that's the way the church should progress with the words that God sows into us, develops inside us, that come out into our life and the people around us. James uses two metaphors to talk about how we might be changed. And Jesus used the same concepts and ideas. The first one is a spring. Has anyone ever climbed up in the mountains and find like the source of like a stream in and that fresh, cold, delicious water? Scotland's full of these places and it was all such a delight to go up there and you knew this stuff was just like pure, crystal clear, freezing cold, delicious water. Um, how do we make sure our spring is clean? First thing is we want to make sure the source is good. The second thing is we want to avoid pollutants as the water travels into the land to bring fertility and health and growth. Jesus said, says in John, John reports, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, should I do it in a loud voice? Who's sleeping? <laughs> Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water, water will flow from within them. Flow from in them. Something is happening within me that is causing something fresh and cleansing and pure and good to flow from me. And a big part of where that's coming from is out of my mouth. And they talked about a grapevine or a fig tree. James did. And Jesus said, no good tree bears bad fruit and nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Again, what is the condition of my heart? What is happening within me? Because so much of that is going to determine what comes out of my mouth. And God takes very seriously what comes out of our mouths. But we have grace. <laughs> and we're called to turn to him and say, rescue me. Change me. How do we ensure that health for a fruit tree or a vine or any other tree that's bearing fruit? We prune it. We properly feed it. We water it. We ensure it gets plenty of light. And Jesus said, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. And he said, I am the vine. And you are, what's the Keith Green thing? I am divine. He is divine. You are the branch, right? I am the vine. You are the branches. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain on you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. He is the good and true teacher. The one whose words are true. He is the one who can tame our tongues 
He is the one who produces the fruit of words that express hearts that are being healed. Not perfect. You still hit your hand, finger with a hammer, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna pop it out. But even that though, you know, is it about cursing? It literally is saying swear words. It may include that. But really, what is it really? It's, it's, it's actually the point that we praise God with our tongues, then we turn around and we curse those made in God's image. It doesn't matter who that person is. Do we curse them? He is the one that fills us with his Holy Spirit and washes out the pollutants. So the response to this message, this hard message is to say, God, change my heart, fill me. Let what is happening on the inside start to come out clearly on the outside. Let people around me just be surprised by how encouraging my words are, how peaceable, how hopeful, how gentle. You know, I'm really disturbed by the culture we live in when so many so-called leaders exercise zero restraint on what they say. This is the kingdom of earth, ladies and gentlemen, and we are called to a higher place to police the words that we say according to the Holy Spirit's work within us. We're different. We're different. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up. Um, You know, I was thinking, uh, imagine you had this little like digital clicker on your wrist and every time you said a word, it would count down by one. And you had a limited, finite amount of words given to you for the years of your life. How much more careful would we be about how we use them? <laughs> kind of in light of this. I almost want that. It would be a good practice for me to go, like my Fitbit. It's next to my Fitbit. Maybe it's on my Fitbit. I'm like, I've only got 3 million, you know, 400,000 whatever words to say left. Oops. Minus six. Um, so we're gonna go to communion now. And as we say, like this place, this table is a place where all stories, all the promises of God, all the brokenness as well of our human situation meet grace and a real solution to the predicament that we find ourselves in. We find grace here and forgiveness right as we are today, right as we are. This morning, you may have already expended a few words on angry, whatever, and you're feeling kind of convicted. The story is, it starts today, right now. His mercies are new every morning, but it simply requires us to turn to him and say, yeah, I am truly who you say I am. Yeah, and you know me, and you have, alone have the power to change me, and I will embrace that process with you, God. Make me different. So as we go to communion, we're actually gonna speak together some words. This is from, not only bad things come from Scotland and Ireland, like torture devices, some really good music comes from these places and really good spiritual music. And there's a couple called uh, uh, Keith Getty and his wife write a lot of songs. And we're going to read these together. If you want to do this with me, uh, then let's read these words. And this is kind of a prayer. This is where it begins. This is where these words of praise may start to affect the rest of our words in this world. So let's read together as we come to communion. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you. 
to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth, plant it deep in us, shape and fashion us in your likeness, that the light of Christ might be seen today in our acts of love and our deeds of faith. Speak, O Lord, and fulfill in us all your purposes for your glory. Teach us, Lord, full obedience, holy reverence, true humility. Test our thoughts and our attitudes in the radiance of your purity. Cause our faith to rise, cause our eyes to see your majestic love and authority. Words of power that can never fail, let their truth prevail over unbelief. Speak, O Lord, and renew our minds. Help us grasp the heights of your plans for us, truths unchanged from the dawn of time that will echo down through eternity. And by grace, we'll stand on your promises. And by faith, we'll walk as you walk with us. Speak, O Lord, till your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory. Amen. So the uh, ushers are going to pass the elements, the bread. It's gluten-free bread. If you are, if you have an uh, issue with uh, with gluten, then feel free to take this and a little cup and hold them. We'll take them together, and really feel free to let this pass you by. If this is not something that you have committed yourself to, if you're still kind of exploring what it means, this whole Jesus thing, uh, this is something that we enter into with full awareness that we're saying, yes, Jesus, nourish me. Be within me, change my life. I give myself to you. Forgive me for all of my broken ways and then receive that uh, this morning. And then we will hold these and take them together shortly. 